0: So, NFFC40 has uh, taken up quite a big part of our lives over the last two years, really. I guess the first thing we should do is start by explaining exactly what it is, really, just for folks who don't know.
1: Yeah, it's, um, for me, it was inspired uh, largely by the World War II account that some people may have seen on Twitter that kind of goes through the the daily news stories of, of what unfolded between 1939 and 1945 and runs it in real life time events. Um, and I think we we knew that this 40th anniversary was coming up and we'd had a conversation, hadn't we about sort of a way that we could mark it in a bit of a different way. Um, just something a little bit more interesting. And, and of course, like the World War Two one does, tell a story that people don't necessarily know outside of the big major events that are all well publicised. Um, so that was that was that's kind of the that's kind of the thought behind it, I think, isn't it? And it, it seems to have been something that we've enjoyed and, and seems to have worked well. I would say.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've really enjoyed certainly parts of it. Certainly enjoyed more of it than I have on the occasions where it seemed a bit of a drag. I mean, it's, it's also worth pointing out that neither of us were around at this time. We weren't born. So obviously, we, we didn't have sort of first-hand experience about that. So we required, it, it, it took a lot of research, actually, uh, requiring a, an amount of initial and continuous research. I know we both used different resources. We both used various books as well. Um, the library and the microfilm, the library, I think <laughs> was a learning curve for both of us, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you went first on that one. I I would never have worked that out. But yeah, those old those old um, microfilm uh, machines that sat in the corner gathering dust, um, I I found it I ended up being quite enjoyable. Actually, I, I sort of got into a habit of going about 11, 11 a.m. on a Saturday before a home game, maybe maybe once every six weeks or so over the couple of years we've been doing this, and just 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 really enjoyed it. Got into some right mishaps with. With all the films sort of wrapped around my neck, literally, um, on a couple of occasions. But yeah, it was uh, it was good. I, I just enjoyed going through and finding those little nuggets that you could find. Again, as I was just saying, the little bits that no one's really, um, no one's really ever spoken about, or not that we've ever seen, anyway.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the patience of the library staff is, is to be applauded for both of us. <laughs> so asking, could you show me how to work it one more time? I think what you've just said is absolutely right. It's finding those little moments that obviously we all know about the big stuff, the European games and all that kind of thing. But it's those little moments. I think one thing that sort of stood out to me was... Um, Towards the beginning, actually, it was a big game against Liverpool. And reading obviously the match reports was fine because we could we could watch some of the footage and read the match reports. But finding out the post match interviews, for example, the stuff that Graham Sooness and Phil Thompson came out with. Phil Thompson really, really felt that genuinely they were going to walk all over us in that second mm-hmm. leg. I'm talking about the European Cup game, the uh, obviously the first round against Liverpool at our place. So finding out stuff like that was, was was really, you know, sort of illuminating. I think I really sort of liked scheduling the tweets for. So it was nice that it was routine because obviously. Uh, we were lucky in the sense that 40 years ago, the Saturday games fell on current day on Sunday and vice versa on, on Wednesday games back then fell on the Thursday as well. So, uh, yeah, there were some moments that stood out. But but that Liverpool game was an interesting one, wasn't it? When it all sort of started to kick off, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't paint me in a good light, this one. I probably never told the wife, but I was in Florida at the time on holiday. And uh, that Liverpool came round, and obviously we were, what, a month, six weeks into yeah. doing this. And it was all still new and exciting and I remember thinking, right, well, I want, to, I want to be doing this. And it just so happened to fall at a bit of downtime for us. And I was tweeting away and, yeah, thinking, crikey, what am I doing here? Um, <laughs> but that was obviously, of course, the night as well where, where Forrest, um, the official Forrest Twitter account, decided to to live tweet it as well. And we almost ended up in a bit of a, not quite conflict, but we were both doing the same thing. And obviously the clubs kind of didn't get a great reaction, did it? Um, no. But thankfully, I think ours was seen as a little bit more of a, um, an enduring sort of highs and lows type thing that was telling a full of story. So I think I think we escaped the wrath on that one.
0: I'd like to think so. It was interesting because you know the challenge we set ourselves was try to cover every single game, and obviously as we've said, not just the games, that the surrounding paraphernalia with that, and, and we were there. All the way through two years through, so I think we both experienced some quite enjoyable moments and things that stuck out with us. Uh, I think we, let's talk through some of those, the things that really stood out and the things that we learned as we went through.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll the, the one you've just touched on it there, but the uh, the I think it was the Phil Thompson moment, wasn't it, to Gary Birtles mm. in that Liverpool game where it was where. Will, will two be enough when Gary Bertel yeah. said it after Barrett had scored? And I found that was probably the first major moment we had. And I, I remember thinking, this is great. We were kind of tweeting it in real time. And you knew you were getting the reaction from it, which obviously was always great when you got that um, side, when people were sort of pitching in and talking about it with us, ideally in sort of a real-time setting as we were trying to do. Um, but moving on from that, they were, they were, I mean, there were several. Um, I, I really, really loved... The, um, the Brian Clough uh, marching down the side of the pitch at White Hart Lane I think it was last season, it was in the 78-79 70, season, I can't actually quite remember but it was definitely at White Hart Lane and there was a baying mob in that lower section right behind the dugout that kind of were, were giving him were giving him so much stick and it's, in fact, thankfully it's caught on camera and he just turns to them doesn't he and just, <laughs> just doesn't do anything doesn't, doesn't do anything at all, raise any arms or anything, doesn't say anything just seems to give them a wry smile and this this baying mob turning into a quite placid and almost complimentary group. And it's it was just, I think, for me, of all the Clough stuff that I've seen and read, I think that just summed him up, the character of him. And of course, that that character for Clough came, well, I mean, it was just it was just a daily, weekly thing on this, wasn't it? Clough's character shone through and was was probably the making of what we've done. I remember the one, uh, The Christmas Just Gone, which would have been uh, December 1979 and there was a great little story okay. that we found in the paper about him taking his, um, him taking his squad out for a morning walk uh, around the grounds of Nottingham Castle and they used to go on a Saturday morning traditionally before a normal game and it was free entry, Um, but because this had fallen on a bank holiday, because it was over Christmas, it might have even been Boxing Day, Um, the the unfortunate attendant on the gate demanded, I think it was 10 pence each or something like that, and Clough refused (laughs) to pay, and just walked in through the uh, the staff entrance. (laughs) Uh, So it was those, I mean, those, I would imagine that the vast majority of Forest fans, myself included, would never have heard that story, but it's such a great little one, and it made the Evening Post... And Nottingham Castle ended up, although Nottingham Castle were probably in the right, Nottingham Castle effectively ended up doing some sort of strange apology. Um, so, yeah, that, they, they were the beautiful bits for me. Certainly sort of clough heavy as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've just I've just referring to my Bible here, which was an invaluable resource. It's Philip Saw's. Uh, anniversary, the official history of Nottingham Forest and I think it was Tottenham was seventy nine eighty, 80 and it looked like the away game was in October and just that respect that they all had for him. You touched on sort of live tweeting. I think one of the things I noticed, we both sort of watched, not every game, but we sort of watched quite a lot of footage and sometimes tweeted in real time. Um, And it was fascinating watching some of those things. I mean, obviously, what was occasionally frustrating was the fact that we didn't have much footage. And it was nice to try to bring those odd games like League Cup early round games away at Blackburn, which somehow just seems something on paper. Just try to find something out about it. But live tweeting was, I thought it was a fascinating experience because we're fed the narrative that football has evolved so much since then. But... um, I was quite taken aback. I was quite surprised. The live games that I watched, it wasn't as slow as I was led to believe. And also, just more specifically, the way that Clough and Taylor, obviously, set up the team. I mean, some brief observations was that Tony Woodcock, especially in 78, 79, was absolutely some player was fast and he got the channels and he created space for, for John Robertson to exploit. Another one I really want to talk about was Viv Anderson because he was bombing forward down the right wings even before Pep Guardiola had this revelation about inverting right backs and turning them into midfielders or getting forward and all that kind of thing. Um, and, and another thing that frustrates me is, is this idea that Claude McAuley invented this role as a defensive midfielder. But John McGovern was, was doing this role superbly well. Um, throughout all of this period. And and, and I guess you touched on it before there, but this idea that all the letters pages we found, sometimes players like John McGovern and even John Robertson came in for some stick and some hassle from the good public of Nottingham back in the time.
1: Yeah, the... The football post letters page was 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 a remarkable sort of thing to look at on a weekly basis. Again, sort of thanks to Nottingham Library and their archives, and you would you would realise that modern football fans that we all think are are impatient and and fickle probably isn't a new a new thing, is it? The um, the, the stick that McGovern got Robinson as well um, to an extent was was was. was was, was was at times quite extreme as well, and it was it was sort of going on and on, like the modern day Twitter uh, fan does, or it seems to do. Um, they would be laying in, and then of course because of how technology was by then, the response would come from another fan the week after or a fortnight later in the next issue. And yeah, it was it was, it was very much snail mail sort of um, debate. But yeah, they 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 did throw up some some lovely. Um, some lovely little tales from fans all, all over the place, really, not just Nottingham. Um, but yeah, the, the the performances, as you were touching on them, when we did manage to watch games and see footage, they were they were cracking games a lot of the time, and we, we played on often awful pitches. I um, mean, obviously, we we did go through some some pretty yeah. dodgy weather spells during this, didn't we? Which I think we'll, we'll oh, touch yeah. on in a second. And but you think as well, we the amount of um, the amount of games we played. I mean. Again, not wanting to go too much into sort of comparisons between them now, but we we not only did we play a lot of games because we were successful, but we played all of these far flung friendlies and testimonials. I mean, we sent a team anywhere, and not just not just like a an under twenty three or a reserve side. These were these were our main players. Um, I think John Robertson um, played every single game of everything. I mean, not just league and cup, home or away. It was it was everything. I mean. Um, right at the tail end of this uh, a couple of weeks sort of before we're going to bring this to a close we played like a ridiculous we played three league games in 7 days but in in the middle of that was a county cup game against notts county and a friendly in france against yeah. stade brestois um, <laughs> and you think cracky what are we uh, what are we doing and and I'm picking out john robertson just because his name's there because he did play every single game but him and others they played every single game that's that's five games in seven days eight days it might have been and um, you think yeah cracky that that must have been some toll but never seemed to be the issue that, it, that it's talked about now in terms of fatigue and stuff like that
0: I think it was um, remarkable. Robertson, he never missed a game. Of all the two seasons we've covered, he didn't miss a game at all during uh, those two seasons. I think it's beyond that as well. And and you're right, the friendly in France. And this was after, I think, one month prior, going out to the United Arab Emirates to play three friendlies as well, just because we didn't have a game on the Saturday owing to the FA Cup against Arsenal. So it was remarkable that they, they did this. And also, just going back to... You know some of the some of the live games as well. I found myself involved in that. The seventy nine European Cup final wasn't as bad or as slow as a game I led to believe. Um, we hit the post. I think Robo hit the post actually, and I thought we were firmly in control. And there was one stage. It was quite recent. Again, it was the jumping around here a little bit, but it was the Ajax game, the second the semi final, the second leg in Amsterdam, and I was watching that, and, and towards the very end. Uh, we managed to break away and get into their half because uh, we, we we tried to attack actually. But we, um, Francis and no, Francis and Bertels created this fashion, this chance to get forward, and, and Bertels could have been clean through if he wasn't offside. And I found myself rather embarrassingly shouting at sort of Bertels, Ah, oh, stay onside, Bertels. We could have won <laughs> two 0 there, which was again just talking about how involved you get. And just before I leave that, again, i talked about the players, but I also realised the tactics. I mean, Brian Clough and, and Taylor, they, they always said that they didn't really believe in tactics. But I, I, think it's, it's, I think that's a rather simplistic way of looking at it, just looking at that Ajax game. We, we tried to attack, but we were pinned back. But bizarrely enough, we kept two up front all of the time in Francis and Bertels. And also, Robbo was pinned back. And the plan was for Martin O'Neill, whenever we did get the ball forward, for him to sort of run forward and join the attack. And I guess what I'm trying to say is it wasn't just the case of Chuck come on the pitch and hope everything goes well. I mean, when you've got a team going through that successful period as much as they did, it, it can never be that simple. Um, and, and, and I think that's the thing. It, it never really occurred to me how the winter of, I think it was 78, was horrific. Yeah. And the fixture congestion with the European Cup and everything, it, um, that was some team in order to not only do what they did, but if it wasn't for that fixture congestion, perhaps they could have been even better as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was it was an extreme winter again obviously before our time but um both seasons in fact we 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 finished the season again partly because of success and things like that but also weather. We end up finishing the season quite a long way after other teams largely the season's done and, and Forest are still going aren't they? Um yeah. So so yeah, the um the thing that I think always stood out was the fact that we, you touched on it there, but we, we were spoken about as a little bit of a, a little bit of a negative side. Um, we drew some ire, certainly after that Hamburg final, uh, sort of what, which is the end of what we're, we're doing on this two year project. Um, it seemed to dominate from the stuff that I, we'd looked into. It seemed to dominate the fact that, yeah, we, we little old Nottingham Forest had gone and won the European cup twice, but what a lot of the papers were talking about was sort of negative forest. Um, Sort of just almost being lucky and and nothing really, though not that I saw that not as much as I thought would be said about how, how great an achievement it was. Of course now we look back on it and we can all see it. But at the time it was about Keegan lashes out at this. But gotta remember we were we were playing against a very, very good Hamburg side who did go on and win the European Cup a couple of years later. Um and we lost Trevor Francis who he was Exceptional at the end of that season, wasn't he? He was banging yep. them in. He scored yeah. two games in the goal in the two goals in the game against Palace, that was the one where he actually got injured. Um, and he'd really, really come to life, R- really helped us get through to the final itself, certainly in Berlin against Dynamo. Um, and uh, we were really up against it. And you think, you know what, it was, it was deeply unfair. We, we, did have, we did have a game plan, we got the goal, and we, mm. we, we effectively held off waves of Hamburg attack but did it resolutely and well and ultimately that's that was what it was and as you say Gary Bertles could have could have got a second in the uh, in the last couple of minutes but hey ho I mean it just always seems a little bit unfair to me how we, we were portrayed as that but again when you when you're doing what you do you're there to be shot at aren't you
0: of course yeah I think I think that's what I especially sort of enjoyed I guess even more than than this first season was was this current season that we're in because I didn't really, you know, we all know that we beat Hamburg in the final, but how we got there, and also the domestic season going on in the background, that was quite an eye-opener, I think, in some ways. And I yeah. learned some stuff that I, I really didn't know about. We've talked about fixture congestion, but in the, in the January and the February of, the, of 1980, that was a, a mad period. I think we had seven games in January, two against Liverpool, some League Cup ties, some FA Cup ties that I was only vaguely aware of. Prior to this, we had six games in February, and don't forget how short February is. That was two against Barcelona, and then we faced Liverpool four times in 26 days. Mm. And no wonder, really, that after this intense period, we went one win in eight after this period. Now, yeah. Liverpool were exceptional, we, we couldn't, you know, we, we were a thorn in their sides, but in terms of consistency over this period, they were exceptional. But we I think that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? This season, domestically, we were incredibly frustratingly inconsistent.
1: Yeah, we, we weren't, we probably weren't the side domestically that perhaps people sort of see when when they look back or, or try and look back if they weren't around. Um, when you see Forest, sort of w- w- the Forest nine80 side, was that one of the greatest ever? Well, you know what? Being honest, having re- watched all these games, or a lot of these games, and reviewed them. In, in in the division one, no, we weren't because we were we were pretty poor. Show there were there were circumstances there, but we weren't anywhere near the side domestically what we were um, the year before, and certainly the championship winning side. Um, obviously, we we lost in the league cup final, um, unfortunately, but then we we did go and win at European the European Cup. If we hadn't had done that, I think the season would be viewed as a bit of a disaster, really. Um, yeah. and it does. I think we both have talked about this and agree that it probably sheds a little bit of light on why that side broke up quite as quickly as quickly as it did. Because, yes, we won back-to-back European Cups, but it was clear that we um, we weren't ever really the racist in terms of winning that league title back that Clough and Taylor wanted so badly. Um, yes, you could always say, yes, yeah, of course, we, we, we probably did let it go too soon, but you can understand the reasoning a little bit more. Um, and the other part, the other part of that is the fact that it was absolutely, absolutely uh, a bit of a crisis with, with Forrest. They sh- laid out on that new executive stand that was completed um, Christmas 1979. And we were clearly in a lot of financial peril. One of the other little um, little bits that we dug out was there was an emergency AGM from the committee members in February of 1980, um, which was effectively talking about how the club was going to survive and what could it do. And interestingly, Brian Clough who pretty much ran the club, as we know, wasn't invited and kicked up a right fuss about that, um, and it was only really resolved a few weeks later. Um, so, financially and from performance point of view, I think I think it went into that summer of 1980 thinking, you know, what we have got, we have got a bit of a rebuild on our on our hands, and it's telling that by by what a couple of years later, I think you only really had. Um, I think you only really had Viv Anderson and John Robertson left, and they'd both gone within another a year or two.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was an odd time, really. I think that um, what the the other sort of not just the off field problems, but on the pitch, the, the thing that got us was away from home, especially domestically. We were, we were poor, and that really sort of built a little bit of pressure as well but the thing is the, the team <laughs> it's an odd one they, they they I think they had a horrific away record especially in the second half of the 79 80 season because although we beat Ajax we we went through in the time we, we actually lost in Amsterdam but um the thing about this team is that they could—they still had this flicker, this fire, if you like—that they could occasionally turn it on when they needed to, and and they had some decent domestic results towards the second half season at home, if not away, and then also, like we've said, beating um, Ajax, but also just touching it again—that Hamburg, uh, as you said, to go into that final, losing your informed star striker, and we ended up. Fielding Gary Mills, who was in and out the side, I think he, you know, he was only coming in occasions. So to win, to beat Hamburg with that side was an achievement in itself. But the other thing I, I sort of, which frustrates me a little bit is, that especially that second one, it, it's been put to us sometimes. Oh, look at the teams you beat. There was Argus Patesti and, and Vanja's Axel from Sweden or somebody <laughs> like that. But when we got to the latter stages, um, the final, as we knew, was always going to be at, at the Bernabeu. And in the other semi-final, Real Madrid had uh, beat Hamburg two 0 in the first leg. This was some team who would move heaven and earth to get through to the European Cup final in their own stadium, uh, but they they got trounced in Hamburg. So Hamburg, as you said, they went on to win the you know to win the European Cup next season. These were no mugs at all, and for us to do what we did in that situation, uh, it, it just showed that the this was a team that was able to pull it out of the bag a few other things I learned though as well is that Frank Gray was virtually ever present in that side and I never realized that Stan Bowles played as many games as he did I mean he was signed I think early on in the season in seventy nine eighty, 80 and and Bowyer was often in and out of the team as well uh, which took me by surprise a little bit as well so there's those little things those little hidden stories that always um, Always kept me interested and engaged with it.
1: yeah, I mean the, the likes of Stambo were obviously a, a nice little subplot for what we were doing, wasn't it? I mean, he came in a little bit of a maverick people knew his reputation with the gambling and, and the rest, and um, quite quite famously obviously he obviously stormed out and it's little, it's little bits that you like to tr- sort of piece together. I think a lot of us knew about Bowles and how he'd stayed around for a few months, but yeah, he did actually play and contribute quite a bit and he kept Bowyer out of the side, who people look back as one of our all-time greats of that era. Um, and yeah, he, he, he was a, he was clearly rated, but when you read into it, there was bits, I think he I think he was kept out of the, it might have been the Ajax semi-final second leg, because obviously it was a bit of a back, back backs against the wall thing. And uh, he, he seemed to kick up a bit of a fuss about that. And then, I read that the John Robertson testimonial, which was in mid-May of 1980, just before the final um, against Hamburg, he was was big mates with Robbo and Clough picked the side and left him out. And he said, and for for Bowles, that was it. I think they go on holiday to Mallorca, as as Clough always did, um, sort of as as a team bonding thing a few days after that testimonial. And that's obviously famously where Bowles didn't turn up at the airport (laughs) and, and his career at Forest was over. But yeah, it was it, those, those bits of, of telling a wider story of what certainly personally I, I knew but didn't know. Um, they, that, that was the making of this for me. That, that was telling that wider story. Um, and some of the things it set in motion, you could see, I felt anyway, um, I, I think you could see a deterioration, for example, between Clough and Taylor in the later part of what we've done. Um, they, they, there was a few quotes, a little bit, a little bit barbed back at each other. There was a thing where they appeared on local radio after a, after a home defeat um, on a Saturday evening and they they were a little bit at edge with each other, which was, which was good to find in terms of interest anyway. Um, and yeah, that wider story was so deep and so good. There was so much to it. It really has been a pleasure for all of the let's say, a bit of hard work um, to try and put some of these uh, lesser games on uh, where not much happens and you're trying to put up a programme and a team line-up and, and tell the score. Mm-hmm. There are so many other bits of information that have really just intrigued us and just 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 really made this worthwhile, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think these. Uh, you just mentioned team lineups. The amount of times I have typed in Shilton, Anderson, Gray, McGovern, Lloyd, <laughs> Burns it is incredible. I could just reel them off. I mean, just one more thing that spring to mind. Uh, the, we obviously the holidays in Marbella were a constant theme, and we didn't. I'd never realised they went abroad as, as much as they did. But also there was there was a story about the chairman, wasn't there? Was it Maurice Roworth as well? Um, did, was this the time when he was, was uh, up on charges at the post before, office? Before as well?
1: anyone sues us, it wasn't Maurice Roweth. Uh, okay. it was, uh, I forget the guy's name, but yeah, our chairman, early part of 1980, it was something to do with embezzlement or something, wasn't it? it, it was, I don't believe it was related to Forrest. Um, I believe it post was something to do with the post office. I forget the guy's name, but yeah, our chairman, obviously, had overseen most of that glory period. Yeah, he went to jail, didn't he, I think? Um, yeah, but I, I mean, who knew? Who knew? Um, <laughs> It definitely wasn't Maurice Roweth, um, because um, there was something about him towards the end of the season, um, right. and he became our chairman. I think years and years later, potentially, right. potentially just after Clough, I think after Clough had left. Um, but anyway, we um, there was another there was another guy. I forget his name. I Believe it was the one that probably uh, welcomed Clough in the first place. 1970, 1975. He was quite long-serving. Oh. Um, so yeah um, his name will come to me as soon as we uh, stop recording this no doubt but cool. yeah I mean little little things like that you actually went to prison and not much was made about it at all you don't really see much of a much of a story about it in the stuff that we found um, but yeah those little those little bits there was, the, there, was the, there was the manhunt for the couple of young lads that threw the dart at the arsenal goalkeeper oh, yeah. from the Trent end and we ended up finding we ended up doing about seven or eight different tweets about some lad who threw a dart. And then it was just quite interesting to follow it through. And you were you were reading the Evening Post and two weeks later, oh, oh here it is, a little story. This guy's been charged and banned from all football grounds. And of course, you can't help but think about then and now, um, in terms of what would happen now if someone threw a dart and it was sticking out his arm, wasn't it? It was... um <laughs> The Arsenal goalkeeper. Um, Pat Jennings. Pat Jennings, yes. Physically sticking out his arm as he walked
0: off the pitch yeah. at half-time. It, it was, ima- was,
1: imagine imagine that happened now.
0: <laughs> it was it was an interesting time. I mean, looking, often I'd try and put attendances in as well. And there were decent attendances and, and hence the desire to build the executive stand. But then, as you said, you know, Clough sometimes whinged about not being able to fill that stand. And that hence leads to these sort of financial problems that we had. Um, Fans always moan but I quite enjoyed finding out about, in my head I was trying to put a historical timeline as well together, this was uh, horrific winters, this was high unemployment in Britain, there were strikes left, right and centre, we had the winter of discontent and um, just weirdly enough just little things that amuse me a little bit, Uh, Sid Vicious was, this didn't amuse me, but Sid Vicious was found dead a week before Trevor Francis signed and at the time there was also lots of talk of devolution. And, and it was just, you couldn't not, I guess, try to sort of, try to pin it all and contextual it all together. And with the, con- if there is any conclusion to be drawn, that yeah, football fans haven't really changed. They moaned then and they still moan now as well. Uh, yeah. So it's, I quite enjoyed looking at that aspect of it.
1: We, um, so, I mean, here we are, aren't we? We're, 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 we're at the end. Um, mm. I think we've kind of covered everything that we want to cover. Um, there is no doubt whatsoever, despite a few misgivings that we had about our performances in in this last season that we've covered, um, we were a hell of a side. I mean, it, it was incredible, and it has been incredible. So we are we are going to finish, aren't we, with the yeah. um, the Madrid final against Hamburg, and then it may run for another couple of days, but we, we're gonna we're gonna bring this to a close, and that's that's why we want, obviously, just do this sort of podcast just to reflect and, and summarize. Um, so the idea being that hopefully people will give it one last hurrah with us, hopefully contribute, interact with us. Um ideally the idea is that you interact um in, in the nineteen eighty time frame rather than sort of in the past tense. Um and and do it that way. So yeah, the Madrid final and and out for us really, yeah.
0: I was just going to say we might even reply to some tweets uh, given that uh, if if it's in real time and apologies if people found we were being rude we just wanted to keep it in real time yeah I think that's
1: always been a big thing Uh, maybe a little bit pedantic but when people have responded to us in in the present tense of 1978 1979 1980 we've we've generally tried to go back to them to try and and just a bit of fun isn't it um Mm. I think we've 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 warped a few minds by trying to make it a bit complicated when someone's talked in the past tense and then we've tried to make it in the current tense and, and people have got a bit flummoxed. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, wherever it's set in sort of real time, we'll, we'll try and interact. And that, I think that's yeah, so a what,
0: part of it. Absolutely. What we'll do is we'll tweet out, we found a few links for the full 90 minutes of the Hamburg final. Uh, and you know, we'll, uh, we'll tweet through that. And hopefully, I mean, if you want to, that would be quite nice to sit and watch it and we can all pretend that we're watching a football game.
1: Yeah, and a, and a, and a football game that very rarely these
0: days has Forrest
1: being successful at the end of it as well.
0: <laughs> well, let, let's see how it pans out. Let's see if it still yeah, ends spoilers, up. Let's, spoilers, spoilers. Yeah. I don't know who, which way it could go. So, uh, yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. And uh, I think that's the... Oh, no, there's uh, yeah, there's just, just that final game and we'll see how it goes from there on. Yeah,
1: so um, I think... Before we wrap this up then, I think it'd be only right and fitting just to sort of say thanks to everybody that um, sort of followed it um, and interacted and has just hopefully got some sort of enjoyment and, and education out of it as well. I think that was a big part of it. We need to thank a few people probably. Matt Appleby has been fantastic, hasn't he? Sort of, um, yeah. I know he helped a lot with Johnny's film um, and yes. really does have a great knowledge Obviously, the guys at the library we spoke about, and and uh, and the book as well, Danny Taylor's book and Phil Saw's yeah. book have all been have all been brilliant. Uh, a book from uh, Ken Smales as well, and Ken being obviously quite a big part of that era, and he comes up quite a lot in, in our tweets and stuff. So, some real useful sources of information, and, and thanks too to all of those individuals that have sent us snippets um, that have just helped us tell the story. Uh, I think we uh, I think they've really helped us along, haven't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's hugely, deeply appreciated, and uh, they've helped us both, sort of, um, and been a little bit more enlightened about this period. So, uh, all being well, we'll see you 28th of May for this uh, European Cup final. Yeah, okay. See you, everyone. Take care. Cheers.